Blog Talk Radio. We just had him on a couple weeks ago. Today, he's going to be talking to us about clowning and using humor in healing. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Nightingale. Hello, James. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, just to let everybody know out there, if you'd like to, uh, to ask a question, um, let me just let you know. So Dr. Dr. Nightingale, he's a UK-trained leading clinical dementia specialist and a world leader in the use of hypnotherapy for people living with dementia. He's also been trained in clowning and using humor in healing by the infamous Dr. Patch Adams. That must have been a very interesting experience, Dr. Uh, Dr. Nightingale. So if you'd like to, um, and we're going to talk to him all about that in just a moment, if you'd like to become a part of the conversation, I invite you to give us a call. The number to call is 347 855 711. Again, that number is 347-855-8711. You can give us a call. You can also head over and see, uh, you can give us a call, ask questions. You can also head over to the Blog Talk um, website to uh, check out some pictures of Dr. Nightingale clowning around, <laughs> and that's over at uh, Blog Talk Radio slash Exploring Awesome. Dr. Nightingale, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on today. Um, we were just talking a little bit before about uh, about a new book deal you got. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been contracted and commissioned by Jessica Kingsley Publishers, who are a London and uh, US-based publisher, to write a book entitled, let me see if I get this right now, A Clinician's Guide to Non-Pharmacological Dementia Therapies. So the whole point of the book is is looking at what we can do. I mean, in in the field of dementia, in the clinical field of dementia, we currently have no cure. There's no medication yeah. that we can use to cure someone who has Alzheimer's disease or vascular dementia or any of the other types of dementias. So we have to look outside of that. And uh, the UK in particular have always tried to find other approaches and interventions because, of course, we have a socialised medicine um, service in the UK, the NHS, and they have to put the bill for for medication and treatments and therapies. So uh, it's really about finding something that works, that is cost-effective and effective. So this book will, will include lots of different models, approaches, interventions and strategies including hypnotherapy. There'll be a chapter on the use of hypnotherapy in clinical practice, which is going to be a first for dementia. So I'm very excited about that. And um, and lots of other strategies and techniques and tools that clinicians can use as a, as a treatment option for people who have a diagnosis of dementia. So that's, uh, that's my current focus, the deadline the submission that the publishers have given is August the 31st, so I guess I'm going to be burning the midnight oil 
on a number of occasions in order to get to bed uh, on time. <laughs> <laughs> and we should let uh, we should let no people know know where to go to find you right now, Doctor Daniel. What's the what are the best uh, one or two ways to get a hold of you? The best best one. The best one is um, through my website or through our website, DementiaTherapistSpecialists.com, or in the UK, DementiaDoctor.co.uk. But you can email me at drdan at DementiaTherapistSpecialists, with an S on the end, dot com. That's drdan at DementiaTherapistSpecialists.com. Excellent. I do want to say, um, you know, if you'd like more information about um, about how hypnotherapy can uh, be effective in this thing, go back and look. Uh, right about a year ago, Dr. Dr. Nightingale was on the show. We talked about uh, hypnotherapy. You know, one of the things, too, and I, I found it interesting that um, as we were talking about, there was a little bit of uh, concern with the publishers about, about the chapter on hypnotherapy because it's still sort of seen uh, by some people as a as a pseudoscience. Uh, I'm going to get uh, – I want to get your yeah, – information from you about that. I want to let everybody know, too, I just did a, a TEDx talk, and if you'd like to watch that, uh, please head over to um, YouTube slash Jim Kellner uh, on uh, hypnosis. That's uh, titled, uh, If You Can't Be Hypnotized, You Lose. And Dr. Nightingale was uh, was really the expert that was able to sign off on the research that I presented uh, because he's credentialed. <laughs> he's got a lot of credentials. Um, so even though there's been tons of research, Dr. Nightingale, um, we still have to sort of provide that all the time. It seems like people just don't realize that there has been actual research by major universities. Um, any, under, any reason that you know of why that might be? Any ideas? I, I think it's a lack of understanding. And maybe it's the term hypnosis. You know, it's, it's a lack of understanding about hypnosis. And I align it to the lack of understanding about dementia. Because I get constantly, I'm constantly asked to define the difference between Alzheimer's disease and dementia. You know, and there is no difference. Alzheimer's disease is a form of dementia. It's a lack of understanding. And I think that's the same with hypnosis. There's a lack of understanding about what it is, how it works, the therapeutic benefits of it in clinical practice, and the fact that the state of hypnosis is natural. It's, it's a natural state that the, the body experiences throughout the course of your daily life. And I don't think people put the, you know, put the two together. I think they just right. get frightened about the, the name hypnotherapy. Oh, hypnosis, oh, you're going to... You know, I'll give you an example. I, I, uh, when we completed the research using hypnotherapy in, to treat dementia, the outcomes were so positive and so amazing that we did a longitudinal study and had just as good amazing outcomes 12 months later. So we approached the Alzheimer's Society in the UK, not the Alzheimer's, not the Alzheimer's Association, because that's the US, but in the UK, the Alzheimer's Society, for further funding to do further research. And the feedback we got were, this is, this is no word of a lie, the feedback came back of, no, we can't have you controlling our minds. We can't have you taking <laughs> control of us. You can't have you brainwashing us. We, you know, that, that was the misconception of what 
they believed hypnotherapy to be about. And I, I think that's what it is, Jim. I think it's a lack of education. And I don't think there's yeah. enough... The profile of hypnotherapy needs to be raised because you and I are both practitioners, we're both clinicians, we both use hypnotherapy in clinical practice, and we both know the positive outcomes that can be achieved very quickly when you compare it to other things. So, you know, in one session of hypnotherapy, you can achieve something that 18 weeks of cognitive behavior therapy will achieve. So, right. it, you know, people just have that lack of understanding and knowledge, and I think, um, I think we need to see more of its profile raised and more of it in the media and more of it talked about in clinical practice yeah yeah and you know i think and like you and i have talked about because uh because i do company hypnosis shows and i i do think that like we've talked about that that does give people a false impression of what hypnosis is like if you're sitting out in the audience going well there's no way that somebody could make me dance around like taylor swift um that doesn't mean that you can't use hypnotherapy because, you know, there really are there. I mean, stage hypnosis and hypnotherapy, they're two, they're two different, two different things completely. It's, it's the way I like to think of it is like, you know, a fork is a tool and you can stab your food or you can scoop it up. And that's how hypnosis is. You can, you can, if you can sort of manipulate or, or, um, or influence the unconscious mind, the other than conscious mind, then, I mean, it's, the results are just, they're just incredible, whether it's you're having someone think they're Taylor Swift or you're helping somebody quit smoking. Um, and I'll tell you, it's, it's, um, it's interesting when you talk about how amazing the results are and how quick they are. I, I sometimes find myself playing those down just because they sound so unbelievable sometimes. Like when I'm working with a company and their sales go up 200%, you know, within, within weeks, it, it's unbelievable. Do you ever find mm. that in your work? Absolutely, yeah, indeed, absolutely, um, quite a lot, actually. And I think when, when you think about it, though, if you think about it rationally, mm -hmm. it doesn't make a lot of sense to be able to do that so quickly, to have such swift outcomes. But if you explain it in a way like, well, 90% of all our thoughts, memories, behaviours, actions, experiences, are at the subconscious level and only around about 10%, some people, some practitioners say 5%, so between 5 and 10% are at the conscious level. Most of our mm -hmm. stuff lives at the, at the unconscious mind. And this is why things like hypnotherapy and hypnopsychotherapy have such positive outcomes for people who are experiencing PTSD because it's, you've buried it in your subconscious. So that's where we go with hypnotherapy. And the reason why we can, we can have such swift outcomes is because we bypass the conscious mind, we bypass all the organic stuff, all the biological stuff, and we go straight into the subconscious where the actual issue, problem, challenge, negative thought or image or whatever it is, lives. And we deal with it in there. And we can deal with it really quickly. And that's how positive and how fast and how impactful hypnotherapy can be in, in clinical practice. I don't know if, I know we're, we're getting off subject, but I don't know if you remember in um, Snowflake a number of years ago, a bunch of guys that were out chopping wood, one of them was abducted by an um, alien craft. 
took him away. He was gone for two or three days. And they all witnessed it. They all saw him take him. Um, but they were ridiculed for it. They were ridiculed for it. And this guy, I think it was called Travis Walters, who was taken. He came out. They all went through um, lie detector tests and stuff and, and came out as, as passing them. They all passed them. They were all telling the truth. And they used hypnotherapy with Travis Walters to, to get information and knowledge and stuff. And it was so powerful. And, and it's used so many times for so many different things. Even in forensic, in forensic and criminology, hypnotherapy can be used to, to, um, to work with witnesses and stuff. So it has a lot of efficacy. There is a lot of belief in it in, in some quarters. And yet I think it's the general populace that, that just don't fully understand how it can work in clinical practice, Jim. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, I, I, I literally do just think it's sometimes it, it works like magic, but it, but it's but it's also you know it's it's dependent on the person. Some people have uh, almost magical results, and some people it just takes a little bit longer. Um, yeah, and that's kind of the way it works. And everyone's different. The the funny thing too is one of the things that. Uh, what I find so funny is, uh, you know, people will say, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does? You know, and there's no therapy that works for everyone. Even chemotherapy fails a lot of the time. Absolutely. That's, uh, yep. that's what we consider pretty advanced medicine. I got to, I got to, I got to just wonder like, so, and so you actually trained with Dr. Patch Adams. Uh, what is he like? <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like no other. He's an amazing, <laughs> amazing man. He is unique in in his personality and his construct. Um, he came to Phoenix to uh, Phoenix Medical School to teach. There were sixty doctors all together, and we all came from different backgrounds and different uh, modalities. And it was a two-day program, and day one was really when you got to learn about Patch. He's been a physician for 45 years and he's never made a penny out of being a physician. He doesn't make money out of it. He lives on the road. He's constantly traveling around. The only clothes he owns and wears are clown outfits. That's it. Um, He related a story about being, when he came to Phoenix, I think it may be on the Friday night because the, uh, the program was over the weekend, so I think it was on either the Thursday or the Friday night. He'd gone into a supermarket, and there were two people having an argument. And he wore he just had his clown suit, and it was building up to a fight. Or thought he thought it was going to be, turn out to be a fight. So he just got some of his clown stuff out and started messing about, and they all started laughing, <laughs> and it kind of just the, the, the whole thing changed, you know. But he's a very, very interesting man. He's very, very intelligent. He has a fantastic insight into the human condition. He has a fantastic insight into how humor, how comedy, how laughter, and how clowning around can have a massive impact on our uh, physiological and psychological health. So he's, um, I guess you'd you'd consider him to be uh, an extrovert. He's certainly not an introvert. And he, he's just great. And, you know, the, the first thing that we had to do when the program started, we all had to stand in a room. And because there were 60 of us, we were having to stand pretty close 
you know, we were already invading the other person's personal bubble, personal space. And what we had to do was turn to the person on our right and give them a hug. Never seen them before, didn't know who they were, and give them a hug. But it wasn't just a hug. It was, you had to experience the feeling of the other person. You had to pick up on their body language. You had to pick up on how their emotions were at that time. And the whole point of the exercise was to break down barriers. Because there's always, between doctor and patient, there's always this barrier. You know, there's, yeah. for example, some doctors will sit behind a desk. There's your barrier. Mm-hmm. You're on that side, I'm on this side. There's always a barrier. And it, it, it really interferes with your therapeutic relationship with your patient. So it was all about breaking down barriers and feeling comfortable with, with the other individual and, and learning how to pick up on their body, body language, learning how to pick up on their emotional state and, and getting a really quick understanding of how they were feeling at that moment in time. Then <laughs> the second part of that exercise was to stand and gaze into each other's eyes and in as many different intonations as you could, you would say, I love you. I love you. I love you. All in these different ways, you know. And uh, and when I turned to the right, I was looking at a six foot two beefy guy with a beard. (laughs) Yeah. So... um, and that was uncomfortable in itself, having to hug somebody like that. Yeah. But yeah, that's um, so. Patch is a very, very um, in- interesting guy, and he he does a lot of hugging, and he works with a lot of patients in third world countries where medication isn't readily available. And he went to see a patient. One of the videos he showed us was him with a patient who was dying, and she was crying because of the pain. And there was no morphine or diamorph. There was no access to uh, to pain relief medication there. So he sat with her, and for quite a bit of time, he started messing around, clowning about, using his little pieces of thing. He had a big pacifier that he took out and put in his mouth, and all these different things, a big rattle, um, lots of different things. And we saw how she changed and how her tears of pain turned into tears of laughter. And then for approximately eight or nine hours, he held that woman until she died. And she died peacefully, and she died happy, and she died content. And if wow. we, we often hear this saying, death with dignity. Mm-hmm. If I've ever seen death with dignity in all my years as a clinician, that was the most dignified death I've ever seen. And um, wow. and it was a massive lesson that we learned in in using humour and comedy to uh, to heal and uh, and to help. So the guy is very interesting. If anybody ever gets the opportunity to meet him, go ahead and do so. He he will answer letters. You can write to him. And he gets all his letters. He doesn't use computers or anything. He handwrites all his replies. So he will reply to you. So if you write him a letter, find out where he hangs out. Um, and he will... You, you, I mean, you just Google him for that. Google Patch Adams. 
Yeah. And uh, you'll find out where he hangs out and you can write to him and he will reply. Awesome. So, you know, I do, I, I do some interesting. And I got to tell you, I mean, this, this must have been right up your alley because with your background in, uh, you know, stand up comedy and as a clinician, uh, I mean, wow, what just a, what a powerful experience that must have been for you. Now, I'm just, I'm curious. Now, I mean, as you're talking about it, I mean, it makes sense. I think everybody would say, oh, it makes sense that, uh, to use humor in healing. But I do think there's still a bit of a, isn't there a little bit of a stigma there? I mean, if you go into your doctor and you, you're diagnosed with cancer or something and, and maybe they're not taking that somber tone with you, um, I think some people might feel uncomfortable with that. Can you address that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's afterwards. I think it's when you're actually going through the throes of the disease or the illness itself ah, where, okay. where humor where humor plays its role because, you know, we all have it. We, there's a few people around that don't have a sense of humor. There's, there's a condition. There's a, there is a clinical condition where people find it difficult to, to laugh and find humor. But, you know, the majority of us, it's part of our life. We, we need humor. We need laughter. We, we use comedy a lot in life. And we don't always recognize it. And we don't always think about it because it's, it's another one of those things that, that's our subconscious. We just do it. It's just an automatic thing, isn't it? When we go to yeah. see a comedy show, we're not thinking about the show. We're just reacting to the, the comedy with laughter because, it, you know, our subconscious responds to it and, and we're releasing all those happy chemicals and all those, all those positive endorphins in the brain that are helping us with, uh, with healing and stuff. And, um, and so I think it's after the effect. I think delivering a diagnosis is a little bit different. I think um, you, okay. have to di- you have to del- deliver a diagnosis as a positive illusion but you, you, it's later on when the dis- if, if you're in the throes of chemotherapy and you're losing your hair and you're growing up and you, you're not eating and you're feeling like total crap, then some clowning, some healing, some uh, humour is, is when, it's, uh, when it's best for you. So I think everybody should be thrown in a bus and taken to a, a Jim Kellner or a Brit comedy, <laughs> comedy show when they're, when right. they're in that state because they'll leave the building in a totally different state um, in a happy state rather than a well, somber one well they will and you know and i um i've been uh, i've been uh, <laughs> i've been attacked in social media some uh, a few not too often but occasionally for for not taking things seriously enough and uh at times and and you know i mean there's uh, as you know in doing comedy you throw out a lot of stuff and and some of it is going to offend but the thing is, is what I always try to think about for myself is <clears throat> if you're given the choice between um, laughing or crying, why not laugh? The, the crying adds, I mean, and there's a time for crying, of course, but <clears throat> what I mean is <clears throat> if, there's a serious, if there's a situation that's, that's bringing you down, you get absolutely no benefit by wallowing in, in that down part, but you can get a benefit from, uh, from seeing the humorous part of that. And so I think that the, what you're doing here is, is fantastic. Now, do you find um, when people um, are affected with dementia, does it affect their, their um, um, sense of humor at all? Well, this, this is what I do. I, I go into uh, assisted living memory care communities and, and deliver comedy on occasion. And when I first started doing it, I, I delivered stand-up comedy. And it didn't really go down all that well. Mm-hmm. 
So I changed tights after I after I'd been on my pro on my um, training program with Patch Adams. I changed it and created some characters, and I took my characters in, and they respond so much better to the characters. When you bring the characters to life, then they find that humorous and they find that funny, and they, they can they can laugh at that. Whilst when you're delivering a, a, a funny story. Because of the nature of the disease, they, you can lose them so quickly oh. when you start telling a story. So by the time you get to the punchline, they have no clue what it is you've been talking about. So using your characters and involving them in, in discussions and debate with your character makes a big difference. So when I'm using humour and comedy with people who, who have dementia to the degree that they require full nursing care, they're in a, a community, then I, I tend to use the characters because they respond much better to, to that. And what I'm trying to do when I go in, my, my whole objective is to turn a frown into a smile. And yeah. even if it's just momentary, if I do an hour's show, if it's a momentary smile, if it's just one tiny smile from one person sat in a corner, mm-hmm. that is job done. Because you know, when, when we're laughing, as you know, we release all these happy chemicals and all these healing right. chemicals. And if we can get to the stage where we're actually crying through laughter, the lacrimal glands that, that is responsible for producing tears produces chemicals that also help heal. So getting people in comedy shows with people who are laughing and so much that they're crying, I mean, mine tend to pee themselves. But if, if you get people that are... <laughs> If you get people that are crying with laughter, then you are again helping that healing process. Wow, that's just the best. But I got to tell you too, you know, and one of the things that I, and I, and I actually uh, was was talking with um, uh, with someone um, that had the, or has some of the early stages of, of dementia, and um, and I also also talk with this about some of my clients, especially when it's like a stressful work situation and things. And I ask them if they will, if they can, sort of just think of this. If you were watching what's going on right now uh, on a television sitcom, wouldn't it be funny? And, and I find this, and I actually put that in the hypnotherapy sometimes, if they can view these situations in a humorous way, because, I mean, a lot of the things that people go through in, in any kind of a, a bad situation, disease, or, or situation, I mean, if you, if you look at it the right way, it can actually be funny. And taking a kind of a light attitude with it, I think – um, can just make things so much easier on the person um, instead of putting all this pressure and it's, it's this terrible bad thing that's happening to us. Yeah, absolutely right. I think um, from the, the other part of doing Patch Adams training is that on the Sunday we all have to go outside and uh, dress in our clothing gear and sit in the, uh, the communal area outside the medical school. And Patch, we were, we were all sat on these chairs in various places, and Patch and some other doctors, a couple of psychiatrists, they were going out onto the streets and bringing people in for a consultation. And all we had to do was actively listen no diagnosing, no assessing, no evaluation, nothing other than listen. And it was amazing 
how wearing your clone outfit, <laughs> doing a consultation, and just actively <laughs> listening. Yeah, it, it was amazing. It was unbelievable. And I had people who, it was myself and my good friend, Dr. Umesh Tawari, who's um, a physician over in, in Phoenix. We spent the, the entire day, we were only supposed to do it for 20 minutes, but we ended up doing it for most of the day. Um, and we had lots of different people, ladies who had lost children, there were people who were addicted to drugs, alcohol, all kinds of different people, people with clinical depression, people with issues that they'd never, ever spoken to anybody about before. They just felt so comfortable talking to you about it. It was, ama- it was amazing. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and then, you, you know, that, there's a lot of laughter and a lot of humour in it because of the way you dressed. <laughs> and because yeah, they kind of, the, the, yeah, they've never seen a doctor dress like that before. So it's, it's just incredible. It's uh, Amazing, amazing stuff. <laughs> Humor, we need it. I tell you, you know what, Dr. Dr. Gill, we're, we're, we're closing up on the end of the show. I, I swear we could talk for hours with you. Um, you've always got such good information, and, and uh, I really want to encourage all of you, reach out to Dr. Uh, Dr. Nightingale now, for any kind of hypnotherapy needs, but especially, you know, him and his wife, they work together to help uh, dementia patients. They also help caregivers, and I've got to let you all know about this. There's a, they're doing a caregiver's retreat. Um, please check that. They're doing that in April. What's the date of that, uh, Dr. Nightingale? We do it regularly. Um, oh, regularly. At any time. It's just that we're resuming it in April now that spring is upon us and uh, the weather's Fantastic. improving. So, yeah. Perfect. So, so it resumes in April. More about that. You can find out more about that at uh, DementiaTherapySpecialist.com. Check it out. Um, check out Dr. Dr. Nightingale and... Uh, you know, as always, um, uh, take care, be well, be awesome. Thanks, Dr. Nightingale. Thank you.